What's up, beautiful world? Welcome to another episode of the Black Sheep Perspective. Today is Friday. D. Marco, what is it? What date is it today? The 12th. Today's the 12th, Friday the 12th. I do this damn near every episode. It's COVID, man. I think I have the right to forget all these damn dates. But, um, man, I can't tell everybody how happy I am with the guests that I have today. I'm borderline fanboying, and I don't fanboy for anybody, and this is the truth. Um, but I'm truly, genuinely, 110 fucking percent a huge fan of this person here. Typically, I just love to have awesome guests, talk to them, hear their stories, a lot of the, you know, face adversity, people with PTSD, fighters, just everybody trying to do something. And I just want to learn about them. And I love that process. Today, I have somebody that I've been following since WEC. A lot of you guys don't know what that is. That's the World Extreme Championship Fighting. It's a league beneath the UFC, one of those smaller leagues that the UFC ended up buying out. They were kind of sisterhood with him. And I've been following him for the longest time. And he's a huge representative of the Latin race. He's a huge representative of Miami. He is a Miami native, but he's also a Chicago native. We're going to find out how the hell that happened. <laughs> and um, he had one of what I think one of the dopest careers in the UFC. Everybody wanted to fight him. Then nobody wanted to fight him. You even got Conor McGregor trying to get you out of retirement right now <laughs> to bring him back because that's the type of guy that he is that Conor just said, man, I would love to have a fight with that dude. So everybody paying attention right now, listening, tuning in. If you haven't looked, go ahead and look it up in the video so you can see the, the good-looking brother that's, that's Battle, just battle scars everywhere. Mr. Ricardo Lamas, a.k.a. The Bully. <laughs> What's up, man? How you doing? I'm good, brother. I'm good, man. Listen, thank you very much for coming to the podcast. I, I need to update people. He's actually doing this in very short notice. You're actually really blessing me, hooking me up with this. I believe that our good friend Marco Furman over here, which is actually one of my first, if not my first, initial podcast interview, which I'm so thankful for. This guy has helped me guide me and give me all these great pointers, and I believe that... He dropped a little seed in, in Ricky's ear and said, hey, man, you know, why don't you uh, go ahead and check him out? And here we are. But to, you're really in town because you have a couple fighters from Chicago mm -hmm. who are fighting on tonight's Titan FC card. Titan FC is a league for everybody. It's a local league for you guys listening. Shout out to Titan FC. And um, I happened to reach out to him because the shirt you guys see me wearing, if you guys aren't watching the video and you're listening to the podcast, take a look when you get a chance. Right now I'm wearing a UFC shirt because I just wanted to represent Ricardo not only for fighting in the UFC, but he also owns a gym. We'll get to that. And it's a UFC gym, and that's what I have on. I used to work for the UFC gym. That's how we met, through mutual friends and training and everything else when you were going back and forth from Miami. But when we come back after a quick little break, you're going to see another shirt that I'm going to wear. And it's Ricardo's shirt, and it's a, a movement that he's doing. And that's how I actually reached out to you personally. Yeah. I hit you up on um, Instagram. For somebody who has such a big following, who's so known, you answer right away within 30, 40 minutes. And um, I asked you, I said, hey, man, I want to help support the movement. So we're going to come back. We're going to talk to that movement. But let's get everybody a big, quick. Ricardo's in a little bit of a hurry. So we're going to try to do the best we can. This might be one of our shortest podcasts, maybe an hour or so. But um, because he has to get ready for his fighters. You got to go corner them, yeah. get them ready, everything else that, that you were going through for so long. Right, exactly. So what? what let's, let's get down to the man. When you first started fucking kicking some ass, dude, what was it that got you into MMA? I was a fan of it since I was a kid. You know, uh, I have to probably have to give credit to one of my older brothers for exposing me to it first because he brought home a VHS of one of the first UFC events, like back when it was bare knuckle, no weight classes. You no know, time you, you know how old you just made it sound. Right? Yes, I just dated myself there. Didn't VHS I? is what you just said. Fuck. Yeah, VHS is a cassette tape, guys. If you don't <laughs> yeah, know. most most people don't even yeah. know the fuck it is. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. So he brought one of those home, and he was like, "You guys got to see this. It's crazy. You know, like these guys are beating the shit out of each other's bare knuckle and." The, the second I saw it, I was hooked, and I was maybe like 10, 11 years old. So that was right around the time when I started getting into martial arts. I started doing taekwondo and stuff like that. Um, and then when I hit high school, one of my brothers was on the wrestling team, so that kind of drew me into that. And then I just kind of fell in love with wrestling all the way through college. Uh, that was the main thing I concentrated on for all those years. And then still wanted to compete when I was done wrestling in college and kind of circled back to the whole MMA thing and – uh, just slowly got into it from there. Something that people don't know. One, wrestlers are the best transitioners to MMA. It, it, there is, I don't know, the only tougher thing than a wrestling practice would be an MMA practice involving wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. just it because you're worried about punches and certain jiu-jitsu moves. But there's nothing more grueling than wrestling practice. So they transition beautifully to MMA. They just got to get the, you know, the hands and kicks right. They transition beautifully uh, to jiu-jitsu. 
But something that a lot of people don't know is, and I had to look it up. You know, I did my research, wanted to be ready for you. You have so many accolades that I just had to be ready with who the fuck I can refer to, <laughs> what I can break down. Dude, I didn't know that you had six. You no, know, you're the youngest of six boys. Yes. That's a lot of ass whooping going That's on. That's a lot of ass <laughs> That's whooping going on. Ass My whooping. whole life I had to deal with that, bro. Yeah, like you wonder why I'm a fighter now, right? But yeah. if you hear a little bit of how I grew you know, all these other people have stories like maybe some of them grew up in a bad neighborhood. Right, right. Came from broken families. I didn't have any. I had a great family, great parents, grew up in a great neighborhood. Um, but I was the youngest of six boys, and my brothers loved to torment me every day. So yeah. I, I was... And yeah. even if it was love, even if it was they were bored, it's, it's, you're, the, you're the baby brother. You got to exactly. get it. You exactly. got to get it. I was actually having a conversation about this yesterday because my nickname, The Bully, right, it, it actually comes from my uh, my very first bull terrier that I had. He okay. was like my main man. He, he actually came with me in Miami. I fucking certified him as a service dog so I can bring him on the airplane with me. Shh, I didn't say that. Yeah. Uh, you still got him or no? I don't know. Uh, he, he, I had to put him down a few years ago, but he lasted. I never thought he'd see my kids, you know, and he saw my kids. And so I was just very thankful for all that. You know, it was hard putting him down, but yeah, that have was, you, have that you, was have my you guy. contemplated getting another one or no? Sometimes uh, people yeah, can't do that I did. I did have another one. Uh, the second one I got wasn't as great with kids. So he's staying with my parents right now for a little oh, okay, bit. Okay. Uh, Cause he gets kind of nervous. My, t- you know, with kids, it's hard to watch them and they just run around and jump on the dog. Bro, not only that, my, my brother had a bull terrier and you know, he used to do a lot of reading. I'm a huge dog lover, huge dog fan. I, I Caesar Milan was like a fucking God to me. I thought yeah, he was yeah. the man. Bull terriers are one of the most territorial dogs. Yeah. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't, think that with my first one my first one like i would have left him alone with an infant you know and right. he was just the kindest dog that you could ever come across and uh you know my my son right when he first started walking you know i had him and you know my son would always just like drag him around by the collar and my nieces and nephews too would come sleep over and they'd use him as a pillow and stuff pretty much so he was like the best dog ever that's awesome yeah. if people don't know what the bull terrier is Think about the Spud McKenzie dog. McKenzie. That might be too the old. Dog. The target dog is a better way for people to say it's in the Terrier family. They have a longer football shaped head. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say like a bullet almost, or but yeah, you egg, can say yeah. football, and it's a strong snout that they can yeah. just dig dig into. Beautiful dogs, amazing dogs. I'll, I'll never forget the one that my brother had. Um, Rick, so you went from college wrestling, which by the way, you were being very humble about all that. Again, I was reading your accolades. You uh-huh. you had a lot of. Um, damn, I, I wrote this uh, yeah. shit down almost. But. <laughs> I was an All American my senior year, so I, I played six at the national tournament. Probably would have done a little better, but I separated my shoulder about two weeks before the national tournament. So when I wrestled, they shot me up with cortisone to kind of dull the pain, and it lasted. I made it up to the semifinals and then re injured my shoulder again, Ooh. and then had to, I just kind of dropped back down. Um, I was wrestling with pretty much one arm after that and fifth place match. I actually had the injury default out of because I got slammed on my shoulder in it against a kid that I had beaten earlier in the tournament. So um, just, you know, I ended up taking sixth place, which top eight people don't know if you place top eight, the national tournament, you're an all American. Okay. that's uh, I didn't know that either. Okay. Yeah. So that that's where the all American status comes from. Where and, was, where was your training? This college, you were, you, it's a weird name. What, what, what? Elmhurst college. It's a little division three college outside of Chicago. In the suburbs. So at um, this point, were, okay, were you born in Chicago or were you born in Miami? No, I was born in Chicago. Born in Chicago? Yeah. How did we get to Miami? Uh, Miami was like a second home growing up for me. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm half Cuban, half Mexican. So okay, your dad's Cuban? My dad's Cuban. My mom is Mexican. My whole dad's side of the family lived down here in, in Miami. Um, so every vacation, we'd come down here. Uh, eventually, my parents got like a little place in Sunny Isles, a little condo. So... We'd spend a lot of the summer down here, like at least a month out of every summer we'd come down. So Miami, I was very familiar with growing up. It was it was like a second home for me. Um, and then when I started training MMA, I was uh, training with this team. And, and, you know, the coach there, he loved Miami too. I think he had a little timeshare out here or something. And it was around October. It was like my second fight in the WEC. And we were training and, you know, the weather starts to get cold. It starts to break in October around in Illinois. So we're like, shit, you know, let's get out of here for a week go down to Miami, train, run on the beach, do stuff like that. So he had a friend down here who was training at MMA Masters at the time. And he was like, yeah, I got a gym for you guys. We want to come in and, and get some training in. So we came down. I went into the gym, got my ass whooped by Daniel, got my ass whooped by Baboon. And then I was like, this is where I need to be. So for the very next fight, I came down a month in advance and, and camped for about four weeks. And that just kind of stuck throughout my career. So I'd come down for one month before every fight. 
and train with MMA Masters. So when you're talking about Daniel, for those of you guys who might not know the MMA community, especially here in South Florida, he's talking about Daniel Valverde, one of, if not the top, you know, definitely one of, because you have Cyborg, you know, yeah, you have yeah. a brew, um, and you have a couple others, but Daniel's one of the top three best jujitsu guys. I mean, in the nation, he's top 10. In Florida, top two, three. Yeah. Amazing guy. I met him in the beginning of my MMA career before they went to MMA Masters. That's how long. You were still in Chicago. Danny was already my coach. I met Baboon when Danny, before Danny was MMA Masters. They opened up MMA Masters and took Baboon with them from where we were at, at South Miami Sports Performance, which was the original, the original ATT in uh-huh. South Miami. Anyhow, um, and then for those of you guys who heard Baboon, that's another reason why we became buds. Baboon is one of your closest friends. Yeah, he's my brother. He's a fucking local legend. He's, yeah. an, he's an amazing guy that we all have mad love for. He's a badass, and he's right now the bare knuckle, 155 lightweight champ. lightweight champ. World champion, yeah. World champ. That's his sixth belt? Yeah, something like that. He 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 brought him around one time for a photo shoot. His yeah, trunk yeah. was just full of them. Yeah, I saw that. Right. He had to have people like help help them help him bring him in. So how amazing that you guys had such careers. He went everywhere else except the UFC. You yeah. went almost right into the UFC from WEC sisterhood right into the, to uh to the UFC. I want to talk about because I had to look him up, and I've never done this. If you look at all my podcasts, I never have writing material in front of me. <laughs> I organically freestyle uh-huh. after, you know, studying. I want it to be as natural as possible. But, you know, I guess those listening, you don't have to be a big MMA fan to appreciate what this man has gone through. Um, and it's definitely what you're doing now with your movement. And you recently retired, and we're going to get to that. But if you are an MMA fan or if you want to look it up, I got to name drop some of the guys that you fought because, you know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. First of all, you went 6-0 and before you finally had your first loss. That's already an impressive win, win streak right there. And it was to Danny Castillo. And I do remember that fight. You know, you got clipped in the second round, second if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah, that's right. We all get clipped. Anybody can get clipped. I don't care who you are, you can get clipped. That means you get hit in the right spot and you get knocked out or your whole fight goes down the drain from there. Yep. you teed off, had a bunch of wins. And now, now I just got to name drop the type of people you fought. Cub Swanson, still in the UFC, yeah. still a fucking stud, might even go for a championship run if he gets another win or two. Amazing guy, you beat him. You didn't just beat him, you got submission of the night yeah. on, on Cub Swanson, which is a very difficult thing to do. You had a performance of the night with Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira is right now top three, top four in the, in the mix to, to fight Dustin Poirier for the lightweight belt right now, or Connor or whoever. You beat him, and you got performance of the night. And then um, the biggest one, the championship fight that you had against Jose Aldo. I will never forget that fight. I remember we had a house full of people. We were flipping out. Um, I thought you were winning pretty fucking good, to be quite honest with you. I think, if I remember correctly, I think he turned up on you. Did he steal the fourth and fifth round from you? No, I actually, I stole the fifth. He, so he was doing really well throughout the fight. I was being a little bit too cautious, too tentative. You know, there's a lot riding on the line. And I think just uh, mentally, I wasn't, like, prepared for that type of fight yet. Mm. Um, so it was a huge learning experience. But... He was doing good, and then in the fifth, I started to come alive a little bit and ended up kind of um, reversing him off a scramble. We were kind of going into, like, a takedown situation, and I ended the fight, you know, throwing elbows. And mm-hmm. if I would, I feel like if I would have had, you know, one or two more minutes more, I could have made something happen there. Right. But it was just too little too late. And it's, it's just one of those things in the fight world where, like you said, you were being a little cautious yeah. in the championship fight, and then – once you realize at the end, it's like, damn, I had more tank in me. I could have gone right. a little bit, actually, you know? Yep. But it's Jose Aldo, and he was at his prime yeah. peak, still undefeated in 11 years, mm-hmm. and you were the next guy who could possibly beat him. I'll never forget that fight. The only time you've had losses, they've been to stud motherfuckers who happened to catch you yeah, with a clipper, Josh Emmett. Yeah. Probably get a championship attempt in another uh, fight or two if he wins. All he does is knock people out. Chad Mendez. Damn it, I hated that fight. You were whooping them. <laughs> it was You were it was whooping them. You, you were on the outside doing your kicks. You were looking good. You were moving. I think we spoke about that. And I didn't know if you had an injury or not, but I know that Chad got one lucky hit on you yeah. on your fucking forehead somewhere. It was like the top. It was a really it was weird, weird hit. weird, yes. Because yeah, it, it, didn't, it didn't put me out. I was up. And, um, and you know, I, was, I, I, I found my range. I found my jab. I found my calf kick on him. And the last calf kick that I threw, his knee buckled on it, so I knew I had, like, hurt his leg on it. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. He came in. We both threw at the same time. He just moved his head a little bit more yep. off center line than yep. me. 
and he just hit me square top on the top of my head. And normally that shot wouldn't really, it hurt the other guy more, right? right? Because that's where their bone, Mm -hmm. uh, your skull's really dense, but it just threw my whole equilibrium off. And it felt, it felt like I was on like a ship in the middle of the ocean, like going side to side. I remember like trying to find my balance and, um, I tried, tried recovering and fighting it off, but the ref ended up stopping it. So, right. You've been in, you've been in some, and we won't mention that he got busted for, for hormones. Oh oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, we will mention that. (laughs) (laughs) We, by the fact, once he got busted, it is what it is. His whole career went down. Yeah. Uh, Evidently he was juiced up the whole fucking time. uh, He looked like it, but yeah, he did. No neck little, you know, cock diesel ass guy. No, no, for sure. Um, I can just run down this. I'll never forget the Max Holloway fight. Get down right here in the middle. <laughs> Boom. Epic. They still show highlights yeah. of it. We're talking about Max fucking Holloway. Diego Sanchez, goddamn Hall of Famer, yeah. been in nothing but wars. You put it on him. Um, you ruined Jason Knight's fucking train. Jason Knight was riding a train. And yeah, you you ruined that train Bermuda's for him. Too. Dennis Bermudez was on Dernet, a seven bro. fight win streak, seven or eight fight win streak. Let me tell you something, man. I was a big fan of Dennis. When you went against him, I was like, hey, it's home team all day. Fuck that. <laughs> but damn, bro, that was that was a good one, too. Um, Calvin Cater, he got a he got a lucky punch on you. I don't want to say lucky, you know, he was a great boxer. Yeah, but he got great that boxer, one great hands. one punch. You know, other than that, you were looking good. I mean, dude, all the way to your old you, Krause, James Krause is now a coach, gym mm-hmm. owner, and once again in the mix. It's it's in very very impressive from a MMA standpoint what you've done, who you fought, the successes you've had. Um, tell us a little bit about what was some of your favorite, most memorable fights, and why. Because you've had so many, but sometimes it, it might not be the Aldo fight because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, there's been... there's a lot, man. You know, I mean, even ones before I got in the WEC, like climbing up the ranks, like the the fight that made me realize that I could, you know, take this as far as I want was uh, it was my first, t- my only title. Well, yeah, my first title fight as a pro. Um, it was me and this other guy, Cal Ferry, who was a big Division One wrestler, who wrestled at the University of Illinois. Uh, he was like, uh, through high school, he was, uh, a three-time state champ. He would have been a four-time state champ, but he, he had, uh, he got in trouble, so he couldn't wrestle at state, but he was one of those guys that pretty much went undefeated all through his high school career. Um, and then went on to wrestle D1. So me and him were coming up through the ranks around the same time. And we actually met up at the IFL. You remember the IFL? Of course, the International, International Fight, Fight League. League. Yes. yes, yes. So I went to the tryouts for that when I was coming up. Um, I think I was actually still amateur. I don't think I've even turned pro yet. Uh, but we met up there, so we both made it through, like, the first, first like, striking round. They did, like, a grappling round first. You know, they paired you up with some people. Um, and then they did a striking round. I ended up knocking out the guy out that I did my striking round with, so I moved on. And then it was basically like one five-minute MMA sparring round. So they just threw headgear on us, put MMA gloves on us, and matched us up, and then we just had to fight. So me and him got paired up in that. And the round, I remember, was just crazy back and forth. And, uh, you know, the round just started, and he just kind of blitzed me, like boom, 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 and kind of drove me off the mat. So then we had to restart. Then I ended up taking him down. We were scrambling around. And then I remember he got me in a fucking guillotine, and it sucked so bad because I had the, like, boxing headgear on. yeah. And I was, like, trying to get out and barely pop my head out, you know. And that was even before I even really started training jiu-jitsu and, like, knew what to do to defend chokes and all that. Um, but it was cool. So we met up there, and it was kind of like an even round. And then we got set to fight because he was undefeated. I was undefeated, both coming up. It was in his hometown, um, and the whole arena was against me. You mm. know, I had, like, my little section, but then the whole rest of the arena was for him. And it was a good fight. It was back and forth. He he got me in a couple more guillotines that were really close. They were they were locked in, but I fought out of them. And then uh, just sl- slowly started to see he, his spirit break throughout the fight because, you know, he thought he was going to finish me with that guillotine, and he tried like hell for a couple times. And then uh, started putting it on him later on in the fight in the fourth round, submitted him, and then the whole stadium cleared out like minutes after that. Damn, so you ruined you know, everybody's ruined night. Everybody's night, man. And that's a fucking great feeling. Yeah, and that was like after that fight, I was like, you know, I think I could take this as far as I want to now. So um, that was the one that was, I think, two fights after that, and then I was in the uh, WEC. Now you've had some ridiculous, bloody wars. Like all you gotta do is look through your your, your career. Was there ever an injury where you? Really thought, okay, this this is uh this is detrimental to my life. I know that in your interviews, I think you had mentioned that it was the fight with Jason Knight after you beat him that you started contemplating 
mm, might, yeah. might, might be around that time to retire. Though you beat him, was that because of a certain injury, a certain amount of pain? Was there anything going on? Because, you know, MMA hasn't been around long enough to get the research in about CTE. They try to say that because we wear small gloves, it's easier to get knocked out, and you're not going to face what you do as a boxer. True, but we do spar, we do train, and we do this for a lot of years. So we don't know the proof yet. And I know fighters, you know, I think Michael Bisney is the first one to admit the amount of shit he has fought with the, the, the fake eye. Yeah. I mean, because you can't admit that or they won't let you fight. Was something going on now that you're retired that you can admit? Was something going on physically that you kind of, you know, acknowledge? <clears throat> no, not physically. There was, um, I just had a family. I had kids. You know, uh, my son was born and your risk assessment changes throughout life. You know, like when you're younger, you're single, you, you don't give, you don't give a shit, right? I'll go in there, I'll fight whoever, I'll do this, I'll do that. You have kids and then you start to think about your kids and, and the future and your future and how you're going to be when they get older. And, um, that, that kind of hit me a little bit. Uh, and I remember before the Jason Knight fight, it was the day of the fight. I was walking around town with, with my wife and we were getting something to eat. And I was telling her, I was like, if this fight goes, I always wanted to go out on a good note. You know, I knew that I didn't want to be one of these fighters that, that just lost fight after fight after mm -hmm. fight and was nothing like the fighter they were when they started and then decide, you know, finally walk away from it. I wanted to walk out on a high note. And I told her, I was like, you know, if things go well in this fight, I might just, I might just call it a career, you know, cause that was around the same time that I think we were beginning to open up the UFC gym. So I was like, you know, I could slowly, I could just transition into that and it'll be good. But the thing about this sport, man, is like when you get that winning feeling and like you knock somebody out in front of 20,000 people and they're out, you want that feeling again. So it's a fucking high. Yeah, huh? it's a high. It's a high. So after that fight, I was like, fuck, I'm not retiring yet. And, and just kept going a few more. Um, do you, do you do, I know that you also mentioned that your last fight, there was it was the first time you fought in front of no one in front of in an apex center. Right. Just, you know, minimum staff, no crowd. Yeah. And it was eerie. It was a little bit different for you. Did yeah. it did it change your fight, or did you quickly adapt? And only you know thirty seconds in, or no? When I'm when I'm in there, I'm in there. I don't care if there's a million people watching, no people watching. The only thing that was weird is is as the fight was going on, like right when I got done, everyone's like, "That was a great, that was an awesome fight." Um, but when I was in there, I didn't really realize it because when you have the crowd there, you hear the reaction mm, from the crowd. Okay. So like right. when the you fight know, is good, yeah. everybody's going crazy. Yeah, okay. in there it's dead silent. So I didn't know how like. I was just, I'm focused. I'm doing my job in there. I'm not thinking this is a good fight. Keep going. Right. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to kill or, or survive, you know, either one. Uh, so I didn't know how good the fight was until afterwards. People were like coming up and telling me like Paul Felder and all that, you know, were, were you hearing, um, the other corner man's a lot easier, obviously. And did, did, did that help your game out at all or not really? I focus on my corners. I listen to them. So Coming from from a wrestling background, you got to remember, like, we go to these big tournaments where there's, like, four or five mats, matches going on at the same time, a bunch bunch of background noise. So you have to really be able to to figure out your coach's voices and mm -hmm. tune into them and kind of cancel everything out. So I've, I've always been very good at that throughout my career as far as listening to my corners and, and doing what they're telling me to do. So I, I kind of concentrate on them, and I tend not to listen to the other corner. And how, how was it that Baboon, I'm sure he's had the most, one of the biggest influence in your career. You guys, I think you come off as best friends. You, yeah. you, you fucking play like little girls sometimes. That's how much the love is there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, how did that come about? Just training and then it just built from there? Yeah, just training. Um, you know, like I said, the first time we walked into MMA Masters, and I got to tell this story all the time okay. because he loves it too but we walk in late of course right like they had been practicing maybe for an hour cuz the the way the practices go for for MMA is uh we warm up we do a bunch of drilling a bunch of pad work for like an hour or so and then we end class with sparring so we get we walk into the gym as everybody's gearing up for sparring so everybody's warmed up they're all ready to go and then they're like, oh, you, you just put your stuff on. You're going to go to the cage and spar. I was like, what the fuck? I didn't even, like, warm up or anything yet. I'm cold as hell. Right. And they're like, you're going to spar with Baboon. I'm like, okay. And, you know, I put my stuff on. I get in the cage, and I'm, like, talking to my coach through through the cage. And then, like, I turn around to see who I'm sparring, and Baboon 
is pacing back and forth, like looking at me, like I just said something bad about his mom, you know, like he wanted to kill like me. I'm a like, super legit. I'm fight, like, who yeah. is this guy right now? So was he Jerry curled back then or no? He no, this was red hair baboon back oh, then. Oh, you're talking about way I'm back. I'm talking about man. way back, bro. Way 2009. Back. This was shit. 2009. Okay. So this was way back. Um, and he's pacing, like you know, showing his teeth, like fucking growling at me. Who the fuck's this new guy? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Fresh meat, yeah, fresh meat. You know, I've seen it too. I've done it too when, when new guys come to the gym. So bell rings, he comes, boom, straight at me. Bop, 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 like five punch combo, ends with a kick. I'm like, fuck this. I go take his ass down, <laughs> hold him down for as long as I can. Uh, we scramble around. He gets up. I don't know how this happened, but uh, he decided to be a wrestler for a second. So he comes in shooting for a takedown at the same time as I'm throwing a kick. And my knee catches him right on the Whoa. eye. But, like, he kept going. He, like, kept swinging, fell into the fence, got up, and, like, he was split open. So we had to stop sparring after that. And I was like, so he might be mad. at You were beating my ass, but I got you. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to watch this and for sure, yeah. for sure be pissed off. I don't want to spar with you anymore, though. It's done. Hey, you got split by Ricardo, bro. <laughs> yeah. What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Black Sheep Perspective Season 2. If this happens to be your first time watching or listening, please take a quick second to hit that subscribe button and tap that notification bell so that you don't miss another episode. Once again, thank you everyone out there for all the support. Yeah, Baboon's going to fucking, he's going to brush that one off and be like, <laughs> bitch, I'm the B- BKFC champion. <laughs> yeah, he is, he is. <laughs> fuck, fuck that little knee you got on me. <laughs> what? But Trust me, he got me with plenty more shit throughout the years that we trained. So, Man, when me and Baboon were working together at UFC gym, Whenever I got hit from nowhere, I knew it was him. Yeah. Every time he came into work, I'm just chilling with a client, something, pow, slap, pinch my butt, whatever. <laughs> Baboom, and he just no, starts I'd get, us. Yeah, I'd get hit from nowhere, but it'd be one we're sparring. So yeah. it's not like he came up from behind. He was right in front of me and hit me from nowhere. So. I'm so happy for him, man. He, he's doing <laughs> great, Baboom. We love you to death, man. We'd love to see the success that you got going on. Keep whooping ass, and um, we'll see what happens with his next fight. I don't know who they're going to give him next. Yeah. Big money fight, big money fight. He needs it, yeah. He yeah, Dave, it. He Dave Feldman, it. if you're listening, man, make sure Prop you hook that boy up. Yeah, he he definitely deserves it. And make it in Miami. Um, <laughs> real quick though, speaking about those injuries, bro, are you good, man? You don't have anything that's that's creeping up on you that you feel from such a fucking career? Nah, uh, we'll see. You know, luckily right now, um, you know, brain wise, I I feel fine. I don't like forget my name or anything like that. Worst injury I had was, you know, the cater fight. I fractured my jaw in two places after that yeah, one. That so right. had to get surgery and get some plates put in, but uh, um, came back and it, it held up good in my last fight. You know, I took a good knee to the chin and didn't go down from it. So I was happy about that. Yeah, I remember that you said that you were slightly dazed, but then you, you kind of came yeah. focused pretty quickly back. That's battle wounds, bro. You're used to doing that, man. Yeah. That's, that's, that's yeah. what a fucking soldier does. It's crazy. Right. It's, it's crazy to see what some of these fighters do. That's why we need those refs there. That's why those refs got to stop the fights when they're supposed to because yeah. these fighters are out. They're not even there, and yet you see them doing stuff, yeah. attempting things. You know, It's it's years of doing it. Yep. Repetition kicks in. Um, So you had this amazing last fight. Nobody was too sure, except maybe your wife. I mean, you weren't even sure, and you said it in your, your post, post-fight interviews. You still weren't sure at the time if you were going to retire. But then you did make the decision. But before we get to you making the decision, as you were talking to Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan was interviewing you. This, Paul Felder. I was, oh, it, was it was Paul Felder. Felder. Yeah. You're right. It was Paul Felder. You're right. Paul Felder was was interviewing you. He does so great behind that yeah, fucking. He, does. he is just so awesome with that commentating. And you guys had a great interview. And then you asked him if you can speak about something. And 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 again, this is what got my attention. I didn't know you were so heavily involved in making such a movement. Um, especially for the, you know the Cuban peoples, you know for the exiles, for the against the regime and everything else. And when you did that first, Ricky, I didn't even know you fucking spoke Spanish that damn good. <laughs> yeah. Swear to God, I, I didn't. I didn't know your Spanish. I've never heard you speak Spanish. And in Miami, a lot of Latinos, unless you know they're from the fucking La Tierra, they don't speak Spanish like they should. It's like everybody's pulling away from their Spanish. You know, right. um, it's just a, a reoccurring thing that happens in generations. Yes. So I wasn't sure, and then you went the. Hey, Paul, man, you mind if I say something real quick? And I felt it, dude. I really felt what you were talking about. If you don't mind, for those of you who didn't see that interview, can you tell people about this this movement of what you're doing, the shirt that you're wearing, and what it's all about? Yeah, so, you know, the whole Cuban thing, and it's funny you say that you didn't know that I was, like, involved in that, but my whole life I've been involved in it. You know, uh, my father is a political exile. He was heavily involved in the resistance against Fidel when he was in Cuba. He was like the uh, 
he hates when I use the word president, but he was like the head of a student sector of the of a movement called the 30th of November Frank Pais movement. Okay. Um, so, you know, they would do like little operations and stuff. And they were very nonviolent, right? But they would go out and, and um, you know, hand out uh, newspapers or, or whatever kind of speaking out against the government, you know, informing the people they're, you know, X amount of political prisoners. They're, you know, you know all this stuff. Um, and that, it, you know, you can't do that down there. So uh, over time, it, it kind of built up and built up. And he was involved in a little altercation when, you know, eventually it was moving towards a counter-revolution. That's what they were trying to go towards. And there are all these different little groups of resistance in Cuba because they didn't, I, I think a lot of them didn't know who they could trust because the government had, you know, Chivaton, Chivaton is everywhere, right? right? And uh, you didn't know who could be like with the government. So you kind of had your little group that you would do stuff <clears> with. And and that's why there were so many different ones. Um, and my dad when he decided to leave, he like left it at the perfect time because a little bit after, so he went, he, he came to the United States through the help of the Brazilian embassy in Cuba. He went to them first. He had to stay at the Brazilian embassy in Cuba for about six months. And then he flew to the United States to Chicago or one of his brothers was already. Um, I don't know if it happened while he was in the Brazilian embassy or right after he left, but it wasn't that long after he left his, his group was infiltrated by the government Everybody was arrested. His friend who took his place as the head of that group was sent to the firing squads 21 days after being captured. So if my dad didn't leave, you know, at the time that he did, that would have been him. Um, And then, you know, besides that, my whole family has been involved in it. You know, my my father's uncle was a general in in Batista's army. And for those who don't know, Batista was the dictator before Fidel, who kind of gave him the... uh, the sway of getting people behind him to to overthrow that dictator. Um, what was that general's name? Because I have I have a little Fulgencio Batista. Oh my, uh, Tony Lamas. <clears throat> so my my coincidentally, you know, uh, huge coincidence. When Fidel went over there and took over, my grandfather was, I don't know, I think he was the third. It was General General Carlo Cantillo. Yeah, and it was his brother, my great uncle. Right, that's what you call mm-hmm. uh, brother of a grandfather. Yeah. My great uncle was above him, so I'm wondering, man, they had to know each other. Those because yeah, probably, probably my my grandfather got put in prison. He did eight and a half years. My great uncle got put in prison. He did eleven years. Yeah, and my dad and my my grandmother, they all got uh, all their property, all their goods stripped away, and said, yeah. you know, you might as well leave because you're not getting any of this. So that's when they came to Miami. Yeah, and that's crazy you said that because my great uncle, the one that I'm talking about, he was a general in the he was in prison during Batista. Right, for I think, you know, helping Cuban dissidents or whatever. So he was in prison. And then when Castro came into power, they kept him in prison because they said he was a high risk, you know, and they could just say whatever they <clears> want and keep you. He ended up spending 22 years as a political prisoner. And then my uncle, my dad's brother, also spent almost a decade. I think it was seven or eight years he spent as a political prisoner with no proof, nothing. They just threw him in jail. They said, you know, he was a high risk person or whatever. And, did they, did they, when they eventually got out, did they make it over here? Yeah, so um, my uncle did, and my great-uncle both actually made it over here. I think my great-uncle lives here in Miami right now, so uh, they made it over. Um, there was something that my grandmother did where she moved to the United States, and she asked for the release of my uncle, and I think through, through that, they, yeah, okay. they, they released him and let him come to the U.S. So so what what is the foundation about what, what is it that you're doing right now? You, you got this shirt on. For those of you who, who aren't watching on YouTube, the shirt is of Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, let the camera Meando see en la tumba de Fidel Castro. Exactly. He's pissing on the tombstone of Fidel. There's three tombstones. It says Raul, which is Fidel's brother, on the left, and it's an open uh, hole in the, in the ground. Um, Fidel, which is obviously closed casket, whatever, is in the grass, and he's pissing on that. <laughs> And then to the right is Diaz Canel. Who is that? Diaz Canel is like the acting president right now. Oh, Miguel okay. Diaz Canel. Okay. Yeah. So he, uh, you know, obviously Raul is, Raul is there, and he's probably the one. Yeah, giving exactly. All the right. orders, but you know, the face of the regime right it's, now it's is Canel. Diaz Canel. Okay. So your so what you told me was all proceeds for the shirts go to the foundation, which is to help these. Yeah. So my father, um, you know. Since he left Cuba, he's remained in the fight. He's done everything he can. He's 
He's part of a, a committee right now that's made up of other Cuban exiles kind of living in Chicago. And throughout the year, they'll host little events and raise money and then uh, send it down to like Las Damas de Blanco or, or whoever, you know, um, whoever's kind of resisting the government, uh, just helping out the way they can. Because of COVID, they haven't had a chance to have any of these functions, you know. And um, I don't know, a lot of people, there was a movement that just started in Cuba not too long ago called Movimiento San Isidro. San Isidro is a little neighborhood in Havana where this movement started. Okay. Um, and these guys kind of started going on hunger strikes. And then people have been going out and protesting in the streets, which is kind of unheard of down there. So it kind of caught fire throughout Cuba and everybody is is going out and, because of the help of social media too, all these videos are coming out um, of people, you know, taking the abuse from the police, from from the government, and uh, that I've been seeing through yeah. uh, through um, Enrique Santos is always posting yes uh, videos, and he was posting them from Cuba, and I was like, what the fuck is going on over there? It's crazy. Yeah. So I had the idea of just a kind of a small way to raise money and send down there to these different groups to help them out is by making this shirt and selling them and. I'm going to give all the proceeds to, to my father's committee, and then they're going to disperse it. Um, they have connections through Mbaku, and, and my dad has actually been in contact with the guy that kind of started the San Isidro movement. Um, so we're going to get the money down to them and see if we could help Question, out. and this, this might be like asking the dope dealer on camera, you know, who's your provider? <laughs> I don't know if this is how I should ask this, but I don't know what else to do. But is, is the money that, you, that you're accumulating to help is it being processed like legitimately or are they, are they trying, do they have to do it, you know, underground? Because obviously if anybody over there finds out, right. They'll shut it down. I think they'll have to do maybe a little of both. I don't, you know, okay. they, my father has done it already. Like I said, uh, I think they've uh, sent money down to some members of La Dama, Las Damas de Blanco down there. So they know how to get it down there. Okay. Um, I, th I think for sure some of it will have to be under wraps because even right now there's like a, a block against you. I've even been like when I've been getting payments from people, I have to tell them not to put the word Cuba in the memo because whatever app they're using will block the payment because they put Cuba in there because Cuba is on like a ban list with the United States right now. They're, I think the shit. government right now is considered like a terrorist wow. organization, which really? they are. So. Yeah, yeah, of course, obviously. Yeah. So and now my question is this. I just had um. I talked to you about my, my good friend, Kawaii. I hope one day you can do a podcast with him, by all means. He loves to support movements like this, especially for the Cuban race. He had a guest yesterday on his podcast that I had on my podcast, and she's very uh, politically driven. And um, she's a hothead. She's awesome. Linda, if you're listening, you're awesome. But she's one of those girls that, man, you, you, know, you get out of the way. You know, She's very alpha, very passionate about what she's doing. And I try to ask her, Hey, do you really, and it's not an insulting thing, and, it's, and it really isn't, but I asked her, do you really feel like the amount of energy that you put in to this, what you're trying to do, the exposure, the this or that, do you really think you can stop this machine? Do you, you know, the, the whole Biden this and then, and, and all this, you know, the, the, the scams that go on, how the government's controlled by, by, you know, the elitists and just things of that nature. Do you really think you can stop it? Do you really think, or... Is it, is it right for somebody to be like, hey, don't put that much energy. You can do awareness, but don't give it all you got where you're losing sleep over it. You can't have a relationship. You, can, you can't do nothing but think about it. Anyhow, she got a little worked up when she was trying to answer me about that. Uh -huh. To the extent where I guess we just cut the conversation short because I was like, bitch, I'm about to tell you something, you know? <laughs> but, you know, I, took, I folded back and I'm like, she's a little bit too passionate about it. Let me not. I want to ask you on a lower level, though, on a lower level. Do you really think that everything that's going on, being that what, you, what your dad went through, obviously, is very informative to you. You've been part of this movement, little as it is, and has been growing. Do you think it is going to eventually take its toll and you guys can stop it? Will it take what your shirt is showing? Will it be when Raul dies and then Buddy's going to back down? Is the movement gaining ground where you really think it'll happen? Or is this more like we're just trying to help our people survive a little bit better over there? But we don't think that we'll fucking, we'll, Cuba won't change. No, our, our hopes is that Cuba will change and that, you know, one day Cuba will be a, a free democratic country, you know, where they could vote in their own presidents, where they have the freedom of speech, where they have the freedom to, to, to protest in the streets when they don't like something that's going on in their government. So that's, that's been the goal that my father's had since, you know, since he started fighting the regime back in 1959, you know, um, I think to sit back and say, well, things aren't going to change, 
So I'm just going to leave it alone. Kind of goes back to there, there are two types of evil in this world. Mm-hmm. You know, people who do evil things and then people who see evil things being done but do nothing about it. So I don't want to be one of those two. So as long as it's I'm... a good way of putting that, man. Yeah. That, that'll make somebody second guess what, what they of think course. they're doing for, for, for people. Yeah. So, um, and the generation of people like my dad are, are starting to die off. You know what I mean? They're, my dad's 80 years old already. He already has friends that he knew back in Cuba who have passed away. It's just they're going and going and going, and their stories are going to die with them unless right. people like me right. pass it on. Exactly. So I, I think that's really important, and um, I'm not going to let my dad's life's work go away for nothing. You that's know, that's amazing. If I'm here, it's going to keep going. That's amazing. That's amazing that you feel like that about it and so passionate. And, and on that note, I remember when I was looking at your interview, fucking tearjerker, I hate when men make me cry. <laughs> I fucking hate when a yeah. man makes me cry, bro. <laughs> and here I am watching Ricardo's interview. It's an amazing interview, and it gets to a portion of – you're, you're talking, they're talking about your dad and you teared up talking yeah. about how he's so amazing. He's so strong. He's so this, I can only imagine how you know good that feels to be like, damn, yo, my dad was really trying to help the people all the yeah. way all through his whole fucking life, trying to help his people. And that's a really good feeling, you know, and, and for you to take on that, uh, responsibility is not a burden, that responsibility and be like, I got us dad. I'm gonna keep doing this. Yeah. You know? you know, being a kid and seeing your father be so passionate about something, you always want to like, what can I do? I want to help. I want to help, you right. know? And, and growing up, I felt like I, I could never really help. And then I started with this fighting thing and then got, you know, uh, a bigger platform to project whatever message I want to send out. So I was like, you know, this is my way to help. You know, maybe I wasn't meant to be a world champ in MMA, but I could use it to do something like this, which is just as good to me. And, and talk about literally going out like with the best bang. I mean, I, I mean <laughs> to win, Win the way you did, um, do it so you know impressively. During such an interview, you know to say what you did, the way you did, the message came out. I, you spit it out. So you know people always. Um, I give Chael Sonnen so much props. Chael Sonnen, I think, is an amazing guidance to fighters. Yeah. He, he, I hate it when fighters don't listen to him. When you get the microphone, That's fuck okay. shouting out your coaches and all. Man, your coaches know, your sponsors know. You shout them out during meetings and and. Uh, um, Post, post-fight interviews with reporters, things of that nature. But when you got that microphone, that's your time to call somebody out or get a big message out. And um, he, he teaches that a lot, and I felt like you epitomized it that day. And not knowing that it was going to be your last fight, you won, you went out in amazing fashion, and you got out during your biggest moment of your stage, and you got that message out where it got so many people's attention. I know here in Miami, we were playing poker at Caballo's house. We were watching you fight. And I made everybody shut up. Hold on, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> and, you know, it was full of a bunch of Latinos, almost Cubans. Everybody was touched. Like, holy awesome. shit. Like, yo, we, I didn't know that. This, yeah, man, there's fighters out there that fucking care, bro. That's not just fighting. They're fighting for other things, you know. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And immediately I was like, all right, I got to get some shirts. I got to help out. I think that that movement is dope. And um, and you're right. A lot of people just talk about it. And they, yeah. and they sit back and let everybody else do the work. Um. If I'm passionate enough about something, I will definitely do the type of stuff you're doing. But if it's not right there up my alley, I don't want to be, like you said, that other that other person who just sits back and watch. So right. I want to do what I can, and, and that's why I think it's awesome that you're here. And I hope that everybody listening and watching make sure when this podcast is over, oh, you can just stop right now and go before you forget. Go help out. Tell them really quick where they can go to uh, help you out with this. Is it just DM you directly on yeah, Instagram? I'm, I'm doing this all by hand by myself pretty much. So people, people DM me. Um, you can pay for the shirts through PayPal, Zelle, or uh, Venmo. And then you give me your address, what size you want, and I'll ship it out to you, you know, the next day or whatever. So uh, on any of my social medias, you could reach out Ricardo Lamas MMA on Instagram or find me on Facebook, uh, Ricardo the Bully Lamas fan page, or just my personal page, whatever. Just send me a, private message and i'll i'll take care of it so here you are now retired you're making this movement which is great i'm sure we're going to follow up and i know you're going to do good and i feel like you'll definitely get a lot of people to hit you up from watching the podcast to help out with the situation but um ricky you're retired you're retired now that's a very difficult thing for a fighter to do i mean like i tell people all the time i can't even have a conversation i'm not lying about it i'm not trying to be funny i cannot have a straight conversation for more than five minutes 
without throwing a one, two, three combo <laughs> into I the know, air. I, I just can't. If I'm standing too close to you for more than five minutes, I want to go for a single leg. Yep, yep. It's just the weirdest thing. It's, it's what we've been doing our whole lives. You, on a whole nother level, I'm nothing compared to what you're talking about. How the fuck do you shut that down? I, I know you have the gym, repping it right here. UFC gym, you guys check it out over there. Chicago, what part of Chicago? Naperville. Naperville. Yeah. N-A-P-E-R? Naper? Naper. Yep. Naper. Naperville. Naperville. Um, so you're co-owned that with another partner of yours. You've been doing that now for, I think, almost a year? Three years. Oh, it's already three. It'll be three years, May 5th, for our soft opening. Awesome. And I'm sure COVID fucking kicked you guys in the balls or what? It, you know, at first we were, but we've been surviving it, man. Okay. Luckily, we, we built up a really great atmosphere at our gym, and, and our members are all very loyal and love us, and um, we're actually thriving through COVID, so... So I would imagine that's definitely a good way to uh, work on that itch that you continuously have, which oh, yeah. is, you know, to want to grab, want to fight, want to, you know, whatever, and you're staying active. Yeah, I think having the gym is, is a huge help with that. You know, uh, if I wasn't in there every day and practicing with these younger guys and teaching them and I still spar with them and roll with them, uh, if I didn't have that, I'd go crazy, man. You know, yeah. like you said, it's it's all we know. Um I've competed since I was serious. I've competed seriously since I was 14 years old. I'm 38 years old. You know, I had my last competition at 38. So most of my life I've, I've spent competing and it's all that I know. And it's all at, like, I don't know how to do anything else. So if I didn't have the gym, I'd, I don't know what I'd be doing. Let's keep it 100. Could Connick take you out of retirement? Yeah, for sure. 100%. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Come on. You know, everybody wants the money fight and, Besides the money, just one chance to slap him in the face is all I need. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it was a, I think it was a huge compliment. I think it was very flattering was, yeah. that, that he said that because he acknowledges that you're you're a soldier, you're a warrior, and um, you know, I, I didn't like that he was aiming for Diego when he did, but right. in, in the, earlier on. But when he mentioned you, I was like, that's what I'm talking about, and I saw that you responded too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I can definitely imagine that. So you're not gonna go the route of other fighters be in and out of retirement or anything. Now you really don't see that. It'll have to be. Connor or nothing. It, it, well, it would have to be it would have to be uh, good enough to to, Make to it risk work. going in there again. Right. You know, money pretty yeah. much. <laughs> no, I mean, it, doesn't it always come somehow lean to that? You know, if it's there is a risk reward. There's a risk yeah. reward, and it has to be there. You know, what's the risk versus the reward? It's not like I know. There's nowadays there's a lot of fighters saying, "Pay me more, pay me more." It's not about that. Like you're on some fucking weird Me Too movement. Right. It's just more so of. I'm at them. You're 38. I'm 38. I don't care. You look great and, and you Thank fight great and you have awesome conditioning, but you're 38 and you got three kids, by the way, which we didn't yes. even mention. You got three of them. Yes. What are those ages? Uh, my son is five and then I have a three-year-old and like a one and a half year old. You so. don't watch TV? No. It's all kid <laughs> stuff all damn day. It drives me crazy. Oh, man. God. <laughs> so fun being an uncle. Get, yeah. them, get them people right there. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man, I love it. Um, is the five-year-old into wrestling yet? He, that's all he wants to do is fight and wrestle with me. So it's awesome. Yeah, he's he's awesome. He's got tons of energy. God is just whooping my ass for what I did to my parents when I was a kid. Right? Now. <laughs> ah, shit. Is he is he a junior? Is he Ricky or no? No, he's not a junior. No, um, his name's Abel. Um, but yeah, he, ah, man, you you talk about like kids that are born with it. Like he's born with it. Really? Like since he came out, like all he's wanted to do is is fight and wrestle and. Do all that, so we'll see how we'll see if it sticks with them. Right, right, of course. I mean, hey, wrestling and jujitsu. I, I mean, I would always say any kid. I think every every kid should do jujitsu. Yeah, it does. It does put in wrestling as yeah. well. Obviously, but you can't push them into it. Like, that's oh no, a, no, that's no, yeah. a sport. Wrestling is a sport that you can't push anybody into. They have to kind of decide on their own that they want to do it. Because mm. if you push someone into that sport, they're gonna hate it. You gotta you gotta be born for it. I tell clients a lot, especially when it's uh, parents trying to, wanting to train their kids. Um, hey, my kid wants to learn um, self-defense. I'm like, all right, cool. Are you more worried about self-defense? Like what would in a real-time ordeal outside, is you know, in the streets, at school, a bully, a kidnapper, whatever. Yeah, yeah, like that, like that. All right, then we don't need to do any boxing or kickboxing. Right. Really? And they dump their head like, oh, you know, I wanted my kid to, you know, pop, boom, boom. Listen. If you want to burn some energy off a kid and this and that, that's cool. If you have a kid who's full of energy and they like to, you know, get aggressive and then that's cool too. But if you're asking me, self-defense, what's the best thing out there? It's jujitsu because it's oh, going to yeah. show you the wrestling to take somebody down and it's going to show you how to, you know, 
a small person can can beat a big person. That's right. You know, yeah. a, a young girl can defend herself from a, a sickle of a rape attack because that's where we live in. Missionary position, okay, watch this triangle. Yeah, you know? exactly. I, I said that you can't really push kids into it, but I'm pushing my daughters into it. Mm. And if they want to go to prom in high school, they better be at least purple belts in jiu-jitsu by the time. That's Otherwise, the they're staying fuck home. I'm talking about. I like that. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I even like the movement. I, um, remember that Jocko was on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, and he said... When all this shit started happening with all the officers and the the, the the issues that were occurring, you know, throughout the world, the nation, every officer, they should make it where every officer should have a blue belt in order to become an officer. I said, wow, that's an amazing fucking idea. We're actually, we actually work with a, um, a group of sheriffs in Illinois that come in like once a week and I come in and, and teach them kind of basic jujitsu, basic takedown stuff. So we're working on that, and we want to eventually branch off it and reach out to other precincts and other uh, police departments and really get, like, a, you know, try and help them out to learn how Dude, to subdue someone without hurting them. I swear to you, Rick, I just said this, if not my last podcast, the one before. No, it was my last one. I had a, I had a close friend of mine who was actually a, a sex tra- sex trafficked uh, victim. Wow. And no one knew. You've met her. I think you met her in the past, Marco, before you uh, disappeared on us for a little bit there, um, uh, Kendra. So anyhow, um, we were talking about that and skip, skip through it. I said that I was willing to offer for free uh, uh, weekly lessons to police officers that I wanted to work with anybody watching. any. Uh, but it would have to be, this isn't no private lessons. This is, hey, you make your officers obligated to come once a month or whatever a month to see me and I will donate a session for free. Yeah, Get them in here so that we can work on their confidence on how to handle things. And um, and I love that you're doing that because I think that that will help. You know, when you see two cops on some skinny crackhead or some whatever, some thug-ass thug, thug ass dude whose pants are falling off his ankles, his ass, and they can't even sustain them, they yeah. can't do the simple just take them down and hold them. Like, I mean, that's insane. That's, that's, yeah. that's white belt shit. Right. That's one on one right there. Just take somebody, the little foot sweep, a little ankle pick, whatever it is, and hold them down. So um, for us, for MMA, it's kind of like if you watch a fight. I'm sorry, if you watch a movie, the fight scene better be as realistic yeah, as possible. Yeah. If not, you can't watch it, right? You're <laughs> you like, get it. the fuck out of here. That it's was- more the training, too, than the fight scene. I'm just like watching actors hit heavy bags uh, and stuff. Nothing drives me more crazy than that. Or like watching them do pad work. If, uh, I want to pull my hair out. Yeah, yeah. So, And I feel the same way. Unfortunately, when cops go through certain things and you see these videos, and you're like, come on, dude, that was the easiest thing to hold that person down. Why yeah. did you have to, you know? But anyhow, I don't want to get off topic on that. I think that's amazing that you're doing that. Your, your gym is doing that. And um, I know your gym will continue doing good with, with everything that's going Thank on you. over there. So that's awesome. I mean, it's a great, it's a great um, corporation. Yeah. And they have, um, how did you decide to do that, by the way? So I think you were coming to our gym just to I was, train yeah. and, then you, and then you saw, I don't know. Well, um, so me, my, my other partner in the gym, I have two other partners. One, uh, I met back in my, uh, personal training career. Like he trained at the other gym and we kind of remained friends. Um, and he helped us, he helped us out a lot with like the negotiation for, with the landlord and stuff like that, because he owns buildings and all that. So he, he's more of like a silent partner, but my other partner, uh, Matt Kushert, Uh, We wrestled together in college, so I've known him for a long time, and we've always talked about opening up a place together. So um, he came in and kind of took over running the the whole day-to-day. So when we were thinking about opening up, we didn't know if we wanted to go our own signature route, like a Ricardo Lamas MMA gym. Or we saw a couple of uh, UFC gyms that were popping up around the area, and I knew one of the guys that owned one. So I, like, went in and talked to him about it. And what me and Matt really liked about the UFC gym is that it's more of a family-friendly environment. Exactly. Like, we have, you know, everyone from four-year-olds up to, like, a 76-year-old woman is one of our oldest members that does, like, boxing three times a week with a trainer. You know, so we really liked that. Both both of us were, were family men at the time. And I just felt like it's more welcoming. It's a more welcoming environment than like a fight gym. Right. People are going to be scared to come in and, and yep. kind of learn from. So. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree on that. And and we know that let's keep it 100 fighters are broke. Yeah. If you haven't made it, fighters are broke. Yeah. Fighters are broke. And if you're making a gym, if you're opening up a gym 
thinking, oh, I want to get some fighters in here, maybe get somebody to get to the UFC and this and that. So that's, a, that's not a it's not a business minded approach. No. Because if you really think about it from a business perspective, it's the women and kids that bring the money. The, everybody wants their kids to learn. The women's are always looking for a way to to, to get that energy out because they hate men. <laughs> And we piss them off somehow, and they love to kick and punch and all that. You know, they don't get a chance to do that. Um, so, yeah, the, the gym is definitely structured to, to, to breed you success on that tip. What's up, folks? Thank you once again for tuning in to another episode of The Black Sheep Perspective, Season 2, baby. If this happens to be your first time watching or listening, please take a quick second to hit that subscribe button and tap that notification bell so that you don't miss another episode. And once again, guys, really, from the bottom of my heart, thank you everyone out there for all the amazing support. Rick, um, I like that you you obviously have have thought your way through your career where you knew, hey, there needs to be something after this. Because where a lot of athletes fuck up, um, I don't know that MMA ones are those athletes probably because, you know, you guys see way lesser big checks than the other athletes do. You know, football players, NBA, motherfuckers get paid huge versus you guys it's gotten way better. I know, especially since you began, you've seen the paychecks go up. Yeah. But it's still nothing compared to what some of these other athletes get. But nonetheless, um, it sucks to see an athlete do so well. You imagine he made so much money and fucking when his career is over, he's got nothing to show for it. Um, or he was doing so good that he started living lavishly and when his career is over, that he now he, now he can't afford that same mansion, that same whatever it is. You don't come off like that at all. You've always been grounded. Um, I don't know if it's because of your dad and, and the stories that you know. I'm sure all that plays a role. Um, coming to Miami, you've never been one to uh, shy away from signing autographs, saying hi to people. You've always been mad humble, and that's a great thing. And I guess coming full circle, it's all showing now with your movement and, and people hearing this and how much of an influence your dad has had. It's great to see that you have this gym, you have this partnership, you have this, this second part of your life. What else can we expect going forward? You have your gym. We have the movement. Anything else in the works? Yeah, man. You know, as far as the gym, uh, our gym is doing really well right now. So we eventually want to expand maybe and then maybe also make that signature gym, you know, uh, kind of move away from the franchise and, and start building our own franchise. You know, just we're always thinking bigger. We're always looking at different opportunities. You're just going to see m- more – more businesses come out of, okay. uh, of my LLC, you know, um, we've been meeting with, uh, some people down here talking about a few things and we're keeping everything open right now. So priority one right now is to build this gym up, you know, to, to a point where we can either sell the business and maybe still stay on as minority shareholders or something, and then work on the signature gym or expand the current gym, uh, and just move into, you know, Right now we're like a mid box, you know, we're, we're thinking about the big box. So, um, just expanding on that and really keeping an open mind and not being afraid to, to go in, into other routes of business besides just, you know, the gym. You know that like the Mike Tyson fight with, um, Roy Jones. Mm-hmm. Nowadays it seems like people are getting into legend fights. Um, Bare Knuckle, you know, speaking of that boom, Bare Knuckle at first was looked down upon because they were getting all these fighters who were at the complete end of their careers because UFC didn't want to resign them and whatever else. Now it, now it looks like, I, I fucking love it, but now it looks like, well, hold up. No, Bare Knuckle is like legit as it gets. That, that, that's it. That is bringing it back to the root of it all. Hey, yeah. mano a mano, no wrestling, but you can clinch long as you're throwing those hands. I mean, that is the root of fighting. Back in the days, if you did anything except throw punches, what are you doing, bro? Hold on, stop the fight, stop the fight. What are you doing? What are you doing? You can't do that. That's not a fight. You got to throw hands. So now Bare Knuckles blowing up. They're giving away nice paychecks. Anyhow, people are coming back out of retirement. People are coming back out of the woodworks. Minus that whole Connor thing that we were having fun with it. If they started something like Old Legends Fight, if you got a call from Brazil and they say, hey, we want this rematch with Jose Aldo. Mm-hmm. Do you really think that it's in you? Would, would you always try to stay in some type of good enough shape because, hey, I know me. It's always possible. So I'm going to hover around that area of uh, could I do it if the opportunity came? Or are you, because of everything you just said, 
No, you're going to stay in shape. You're going to you know, keep banging with your young ones and help these people out and keep getting other fighters ready. We know that the UFC gym, again, family-friendly, you're not going to have a lot of fighters coming out of this. It's very rare. But you can still help them out. Um, but you sound like you're getting into the entrepreneur world. I, I, I think that's the smarter route to go. But we know how fighters think. Yeah. Is there any, getting you, is there any way to get you out of it minus you know, the whole Conor McGregor big money fight? It, or is this is it really just lands on the money part? I would I would never say never, but there would have to be a big incentive for me to come out and take that risk with my health again, especially having the family that I have now. You know, just thinking about their future, I wouldn't want to risk any anything for for their future with their father, mm-hmm. unless it's able to help their future. You know what I mean? So it it all comes back to to the money, I guess. Right. You know, it, it's got to be worth it to. Uh, to get in there and, and make those risks again. And, and by the way, I, I don't think that we get enough shout-outs by fighters in general. I think Dustin Poirier is probably the best at doing it. Uh, we don't give the wives enough props for yeah. what they go through. And, you know, it, it has to be one of the toughest things, minus a parent. If, you have, if your parent is heavily involved in your career and they're watching you fight, that's got to be as tough as it gets. The next one in line is, is parent, uh, wife or kids. So... Props to your wife, man, for for dealing with you for all this. Yeah. You know? <laughs> dealing with me is the right word too. Weight cuts, <clears throat> weight cuts, injuries, just tra- and and just training camp. You know what I mean? Like going away from coming. Uh, com- yeah, yeah. My my wife, uh, God bless her, man. She has been, you know, c- kind of like the backbone of my career since uh, we got married and started, and especially after having kids and all that. You know, before um, when we were dating, we started dating when I was in the WEC. So she's been you know, with me for almost my entire, like the big part of my career. Um, it sucked leaving her going away to train for training camps, but it, it wasn't the same as like when we have kids now, you know, now when I, when I leave, she's there alone with the kids taking care of the whole house and, and taking care of the kids. And I, I don't know how she does it because I would, I wouldn't be able to do it, man. I would go crazy. <laughs> You're flipping out just retiring and having yeah. to deal with them. And huh? then on top of that, she'd have to deal with, Cranky Rick coming home from the gym if I had a bad day at the gym or Cranky Rick is cutting weight and can't eat the pizza that she ordered for the kids and, you know, all that. So, um, but she understands it a lot more because she actually had a couple amateur kickboxing fights. Oh shit. That's awesome. Okay. All right. Yeah. She, uh, she was a black belt in Taekwondo. And then, um, when we met, I started bringing her to the gym and she started training and learning Muay Thai. And then she had a couple of fights. So she's got that fighter mentality in her and she understands uh, you know, everything really well about what a fighter goes through. And I think that helps a lot. You know, it helps her understand. Um, I became a big fan of, of Laura Sanko. Yeah. Uh, the uh, female, um, uh-huh. you she know, tra- I, she trains with James Cross. I didn't know none of this. Yeah, I, yeah. I just, I just, I remember I'm watching it here with a, with an old friend. I'm always watching fights at my house and um, here she is, you know, doing her thing. And I'm like, dude, this fucking, this chick is badass with her, her skills, her, her, uh-huh commentating and then she's doing all these uh, statistics and, and all this information I'm like damn it she really knows her shit yeah. then I saw her go to uh, Invicta and she was really commentating she just wasn't I don't know what the difference is The, the she was color commentating whatever. right 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 doing the play by play exactly yeah, yeah. and she's just yelling out all these moves and then I'm like who the fuck who is this bitch <laughs> and I look her up and I see oh my god she actually fought she actually trains she's under crowds she's uh and, uh, I think she has like a uh, purple belt or a brown belt in jujitsu under him or something. Oh like man, that. that's that's, that's smoking hot. <laughs> the, Laura, if you listening, come to Miami. Let's do a podcast. No, she's she's awesome. Anyhow, the reason I say that, I think I think it's great when a a couple shares that that same ground. You, you, your wife doesn't have to be a, you know such a fighter like you are, but you have to have that understanding. And ladies, I'm not saying that if you don't fight, you can't date a fighter. I'm not saying that, but the more common ground you share, the better. Yeah. If you don't understand the, the amount of shit we go through when it comes to cutting weight and being this and being, it's kind of like us not understanding you guys on your periods. <laughs> you guys are all a bunch of animals and all different species of animals. You guys are fucking crazy when it comes yeah. to periods, and we still can't figure it out why. We don't know what the hell's going we've on. Never been you. through it. Yeah, it's hard to understand yeah. something if you haven't been through it yourself. So I remember, I remember I had an ex girlfriend who uh, nut checked me one time, bop, and, and and it was like a little, just a little flipper, you know, click. Yeah. Barely hit my, my left testy, and I was down and out. And she swore I was full of shit. Oh, my God, you're so faking it. And I waited till I recovered. It was like, I don't know, a good two minutes where I was like, oh, God. And I told her, I go, hey, 
you have no idea what it is to have a testicle. Yeah. I don't know what a period feels like. When you say cramps, I'm thinking cramps like I drank too much water and I went running. I don't know what the hell cramps you're talking about. You make it sound like you got a creature in you. When you hit a man's balls, it really is a whole nother indescribable thing that occurs to us. It goes from that little part that you hit till we fill it in our brain. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, you know? I mean, see, see or no? No, and then, yeah. and then blue balls. They think, we're, they think we're full of shit with blue balls. No, we're not. <laughs> blue balls is a real thing. Like, they think we're full of shit. So uh, I think the more common grounds you share, the, the better. So I think that's pretty dope that your wife, been through your career and all that. Shout out to her. Good for her. It's definitely tough. And um, I guess I just want to say that because people don't say it enough. And I think Dustin yeah. is one of the big ones who says it, you know. Um, I know we're closing out, bro. I know that we have uh, fights to go to tonight. We all got a bunch of people. I don't have anything, anybody personally fighting, but I'm going with Gus, a close friend of all of ours. Uh-huh. You know Gus. Marco, you know Gus as well. He uh, He's with Goat Shed Academy. They got a couple of fighters. You might be going against one of them, are you? I don't think we're going against Goat Shed. No. I know uh, we're going against ATT for one, and the other guy, I'm not sure where his team is from, but it's not Goat Shed. Okay, okay. Um, one of your boys looks jacked as fuck. Yeah, <laughs> Ronnie. Is he yeah. a wrestler? Yeah, he's a, they're both wrestlers. So we, we got a good pipeline of, of athletes because, like I said, me and Matt both wrestled at Elmhurst College. Elmhurst isn't too far away, and Matt is still um, pretty active. Uh, we, we were both assistant coaches there after we graduated. When I started getting more serious with the fighting, I kind of stepped away, but Matt stayed on. Okay. So he's still kind of an assistant coach there for Elmhurst. And then we, we kind of have that pipeline of guys that graduate that maybe are interested in fighting and have that good collegiate wrestling background. So we pull a lot of guys from there that, that'll come train with that's us. That's good afterwards. scouting. That's good. Yeah. That, that definitely can go somewhere. Um, well, we want everybody to follow you. We want everybody to, to, to do what they got to do to help with the movement and just to be, be a fan of yours. So, the handle is Ricardo Lamas MMA? Yes. So on everything or just Instagram? On Instagram and on Twitter, Ricardo Lamas MMA. Ricardo Lamas, so that's, if you guys don't know how to spell, R-I-C-A-R-D-O, and it's L, one L. Yes. L-A-M-A-S-M-M-A. Yep. No in-between spaces, nope, underscore, nothing. nothing. Nope. Okay, and then you guys, once you follow him, obviously you can help out, DM him, and uh, he gave you the details. We can do it through uh, Zell. Or different ordeals. Zelle, PayPal, or uh, Venmo. Yeah. Guys, everybody can use a little bit of help. Um, you don't have to be Cuban to help. You don't even have to be Latino. Uh, Ricky's just trying to help people who are in, in, a, in a dire situation. And uh, and like you said, you know, your dad has passed you the baton, passed you the torch, or you know, just not even just you, but you want to make sure that all his efforts. Doesn't doesn't go away with his passing. Is he healthy? Is he is he good or? Yeah, you know he's healthy. He, uh, I think all parents could be healthier, you know, mm. and they never want to listen to my advice. Especially so. an old Cuban. Yeah, especially an old Cuban for sure, bro. Is he still eating? That song. Yeah, yeah, and you know, he's doing well though. Okay, he's doing good, good. And uh, your your mom is she of the same age? No, my mom is my mom's a little younger. Uh, she's had her struggles too. You know, she's a cancer survivor and. Um, Went through that, and you know we're trying to get her healthy, healthy again too. Okay, well, I'm good to hear that she she got past it. No, yeah. no, uh, what is it called when you uh, relapses? No, I'm mean, not the relapse. There's something else when it comes back. Fuck. No, yeah. So far, she's been going to get checkups, and everything's good. Okay, good, good. Um, Ricky, I really appreciate it, man. Like I said, I'm a huge fan. Um, but I'm also a bigger fan of doing the right things i think you're doing the right thing i mean shit i i I would love to watch you fight more and i know you got it in you but it is the right thing to do you know you are thinking about your family your health your future and there's a lot more after the fight life there's a lot more you got a whole nother half of fucking life so um it's a good time to do it conor mcgregor i dare you to call this man out (laughs) give my boy a paycheck jose aldo maybe too i don't know um we're gonna go to titan fc in a couple of hours gonna watch these fights Wish your boys good luck. I hope they do good. Thank we'll you. definitely be there. I hope the, we get a good night of fights. And uh, my brother, I appreciate you very much, man. Very much. Thank you for coming no by. No problem. Thank you, man. Guys, stay tuned in. Show your support. Make sure you go follow Ricky. Uh, DM him. Try to help the cause out. And uh, we'll see you guys in the next one. Appreciate everybody out there. Love and peace. Take care.